What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. I'm your host, Josh Smith, joined by my co-host, Raul. Got a special guest this week. We got Brian Geisinger. Um, So a little bit of background about him. He currently covers the Charlotte Hornets for Sports Channel 8, co-host of the BuzzBeat podcast, writes about the ACC for 247 Sports. Um, He's also written for accsports.com, helped produce the David Glenn Show. The guy's everywhere, so we're going to talk a little bit about his career, what got him into the field. Um, Brian, so you were born and raised in Winston, attended NC State. Obviously, that's kind of like basketball mecca here in the South. So were you always a basketball fan? Did you have a team growing up? What what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, I was... uh from a young age, like converted very quickly. Growing up in Winston, uh, my dad worked for Wake Forest. So we got season tickets for Wake and, you know, they weren't always that good, but then Skip Prosser showed up and, uh, you know, again, the, the highs of those seasons always ended in really bleak postseason <laughs> failures. But <laughs> yeah. Josh Howard was, you know, my idol as a kid. And then Ooh, I remember that. Yeah. The the Chris Paul runs with Teron Downey and Justin Gray. And it is crazy because they really have had just so little success since then. Like, I mean, you know, they they've they obviously they popped up in the kind of like 08 to 2010 run with yeah, Gaudio. I mean Amino yep. and Johnson, yeah, the three-year window with Gaudio, Teague, yep. Jeff Teague, Ish Smith. And it's crazy. Like some of those guys ended up car- I mean, James Johnson and uh um Ish Smith and Aminu, like those guys still are on NBA rosters a decade plus later, just kind of hard to believe. And then but anyways, I, I kind of stopped following Wake when I got to college and uh was at state, you know, really overlapping with like the Godfrey years. And so those teams were also pretty good, had some like fun postseason memories kind of coming off the lull of the of the low era. And um, so I became, I guess, a quasi state fan in in undergrad. But um, after I got out and sort of started getting into sports media, um, you know, it just became easier to sort of pull for everyone a little bit in the ACC. You know what I mean? In in that because that just made the job a little more interesting. Working with the David Glenn show at the time, it was always fun when UNC. Uh, Duke and State were all good at the same time. It didn't happen uh, that often, <laughs> but when it did, it was you know those were those were like good times. And I'll be honest, it was not hard to leave the Wake Forest and NC State basketball fandom behind <laughs> because those two places tend to be factories of sadness. So it was kind of <laughs> nice to kind of <laughs> shed all of that and 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 just kind of casually pull for everybody and try to analyze the sport more um, from the media perspective than, than just being a fan. And around the time, starting with the David Glenn show, you know, I could get credentialed for places and we had a season long credential for Duke games. And I would split it with Hayes Permar. If you guys recognize that name, and he used to be the producer for the David Glenn show too. And a good buddy of mine. Um, And as an NBA junkie, Getting to start to go to those Duke games when the the, the one and done, you know, kind of profile of the program was really starting to like get going. And so getting to see Jabari Parker just kind of like float around the court, just basketball majesty, it seemed like <laughs> into the into the the title team the year after that and getting to be around that team and see guys like Stones and and Winslow and Okafor and then Brandon Ingram, Jason Tatum. I mean, the list has been incredible. And then getting to be around the 1819 uh, team was obviously like a career highlight for me. You know, getting to have a front row seat for the Zion show was something that I'll, I'll just never forget. And I mean, I've covered all of those teams and been, been credentialed at all those places and gone to lots of games at, at, at all of those schools. But since the 1617 season, um, I've had my own credential for Duke and have been at, you know, probably 90%, if not more of those home games. Um, so I've got, I feel like I've gotten to be around Duke basketball a lot the last six, seven years, which has been, I mean, honestly, a blast. Like it's just, it is 
it's an incredible program and the talent that has walked through there just in that short period of time is completely insane. Like it's just totally, (laughs) totally nuts, totally nuts. I mean, multiple number one picks. Uh, I mean, last year's team, I also, there was a period of time too, where I thought during the first year of the pandemic, like I'd never be back in an arena again. Like when will I get the chance to do this again? I have no idea. And so getting to be back there last season to be around that team, was like pretty special, honestly. Um, all the draft picks, all the talent, and then certainly someone like Paolo that was just such a like special one of a kind force. So uh, I know I kind of rattled on there, but yeah, if you if you grew up in North Carolina, anyone listening to this, you know, like it's different. You know, like right. you find a team, you find a coach, you find a player, and they they become special to you either for your entirety of your life or for these windows of time. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it just gets imprinted on you early. And I feel very special to have one grown up here and then be gotten to like work in this industry. Cause there's, I mean, if you're into college hoops in the NBA too, there's just, there's just not a better place to be in my, in my opinion. Right. So yeah. 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 Even if you don't watch it, you have to pick a side, right? Like there's yeah, people exactly. flying state flags or wearing gear everywhere. Yeah. They might not yeah. even watch, but one or two games, but you have to have loyalty resides somewhere. It's funny. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Did you uh, kind of know going into college that you wanted to do sports journalism? Or is that I, something that came about organically? So I, I did, I knew I wanted to do it, but, um, this, if you knew me between the ages of 18 and 22, it would probably not surprise you that I was not the most <laughs> uh, like motivated self-starter kind of person. So, you know, I kind of thought I'd graduate from state with like decent grades, know a lot about sports and just, you know, go to ESPN with my resume and they would be like, hire this man. We have to hire, <laughs> we have to have him. And uh, it was probably halfway through my senior year where I realized uh, that's probably not how it's going to work. So luckily I was able to get an internship uh, through Hayes with the David Glenn show. And then kind of one thing led to another, you know, one part-time job led to another part-time job, which led to a freelance job, which eventually led to a, a full-time, uh, a full-time deal with, uh, starting with, uh, ACC sports.com. And, um, social media was a big help with that stuff too. And luckily, I guess I was worried starting this, that I just didn't want to become like another, just person that just shows up and writes game stories, you know, because mm-hmm. like we have obviously some great, you know, reporters in the area or whatever, but hey, those people don't, those jobs, if they don't, you know, people either keep those jobs forever or <laughs> those jobs just disappear given the nature of the industry. And so I wanted to do it differently. And um, I started reading this guy, Zach Lowe, who covers the yep. NBA <laughs> initially for Grantland and, and now with ESPN, and I mean, he's just, he's the best basketball writer in the world, in my opinion, regardless of yep. league. Um, uh, it, you know, he's, he's the best and there's lots of great ones, but he's the best. And I, he, I probably cribbed a lot of like my style, you know, well, you're not the only from one. Him. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he's, he's created an entire generation of, of, of guys like that. Um, and but then I also kind of saw like there were a lot of people trying to get into that space in the NBA coverage, and there were fewer people trying to do it for co- with college hoops. And I think that makes sense for a lot of reasons. In part, there were just fewer resources to get film, to get advanced numbers, to get even something like lineup data. In 2015, yep. I was like, where do I find it? Like in the NBA, I could go onto like three sites and pull this up. Yeah, uh, for free, and this it take me no time, and uh, so I've been fortunate that uh, you know, again, once upon a time it was just like Ken Palm or Synergy, and now you look up, and there's so many other places that also have that are also like incredible resources. I pay money for those, <laughs> but I do so happily, and uh, and so that was kind. I mean, that was kind of how I got how I got how I kind of got my start, and then. Um, Luckily, started ended up getting some broadcasting gigs, doing like color analysis for the ACC tournament for the radio calls. I got to do Duke Syracuse last year for ESPN Radio at Cameron, which was like kind of a lifetime experience. It was incredible. Um, Duke blew the doors off them in that in that game too. But getting to do High Point, like Big South, like a lot of like Big South games, so High Point games on ESPN Plus or UNC Asheville or Campbell. Um, 
And I love getting to do color analysis and feel kind of spoiled getting to do it because often that stuff goes to coaches and players and not, you know, nerds like me that maxed out as like average, you know, (laughs) high school players, you know? So it's cool. And it's nice. I guess it's also nice to know that like there is an appetite. There is some demand for this kind of basketball coverage because I don't think everyone sees it, you know? Um, and I've had to have people take chances on me and sort of believe in it a little bit. So, um, and then I also started to work hard too. <laughs> the, other, the, the secret sauce was like, you know, trying actually. And and I can say this was like sort of the first thing I really like tried at. And uh, it's been, again, to do it in this area is just like, it's kind of a blessing. So um, I wanted to do it, but it took me a while to sort of like figure out how to do it. And I think even now I'm still... Like it's a you guys I'm sure know this too with the pod like it's a daily thing like you're trying to figure out like what would be creative what would be fun how can you squeeze the most how can you do something differently yeah um and uh, so yeah that's like that that will always be like a daily process or a weekly process or whatever yeah I know Josh and I have definitely bemoaned the sort of lack of advanced analytics and the kind of writing you're doing in the college basketball world so we're really appreciative. That you're doing that that kind of leads me to my question though how do you go about that like um you're breaking down plays and you s- say you don't have like a coaching background or really a player background so how do you learn how to watch this stuff and what to watch for and what you're even seeing yeah i mean again i think that i do think it's like you can watch all the basketball in the world and and think uh, you might think you're the smartest guy in the room. I mean, you're probably not, you know, but you can watch all the basketball in the world and still see something different, right? Or still, you still got to put time in. Um, so really, like, the main thing is just, like, setting aside the time to watch it and be like, because, like, there are times I'll watch, like, I mean, I watch every Duke game every season, but I watch every game at least twice, basically, especially when I go there. I've got to, like, pull up the film later to clip it. But... Because I try to watch stuff for both like scouting evaluation for the draft. So for in Duke always has, there's always like five to six guys on every roster where you're like, I want to clip as much as I can of this guy. But you're also watching for like the X and O's, like what's Duke doing offensively? How's the defense doing? How are they guarding pick and roll? Um, And so it just, it just takes time to clip those games. And for me, a big part was being organized too, like finding the being able to get the film right and then taking the time to go through because it like watching a game is not just like a two hour endeavor when you do that like it takes multiple hours it takes lots of space on your computer or in your your cloud setting to store all the film but basically i came up with like with an accounting system for how i wanted to label everything that was huge and that was something i got mm-hmm. from um, if you if you know the account on on Twitter ha- at Half Court Hoops, like he yeah. would talk about this stuff and just talk about the importance of you know strong labeling and organization. So like if you went on my computer, like it's the one place in my life where I am organized, mm-hmm. where I have everything broken down by team play type, you know who finished it, and then I mean the same play could be clipped multiple times because I may have a play that Duke ran in two thousand, you know they ran a pick and roll out of horns in two thousand nineteen. And, uh, you know, Trey Jones passed it to Zion and he dunked the ball. And so that play I might have in there for as like Duke Horns, pick and roll, Trey, Zion, two, NC State, you know, label it like the opponent. But then that play is also going to be in there probably for like NC State's pick and roll coverage. Like NC State tried to ice it, you know, NC State defense, pick and roll, ice, Duke, Zion, two. Um, and then it will also get labeled for, you know, Trey Jones, pick and roll, pass, dive, Zion, two. NC State, Zion, pick and roll, dunk, uh, dive, uh, Trey. So um, as far as like stuff that the like the stuff that I'm looking for and how I kind of got to those areas, it really was like watching a ton of basketball. And like you, if you're around the game a lot, or if you're just sort of like watching it here and there even and just sort of like have your antenna up, I think you have some idea for like what's happening, at least where the ball is. Like it's easy to watch the ball. Yeah, And then you work out from there. And at some point when I was like first starting to do this, one, I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, then like I need to actually like sit down and try to do this. Because if I'm just putting in the same effort as everyone else, like this, it's just not going to work. 
And then two um, was trying to watch places where the ball wasn't. So I started watching the ball and I would work out from there. Um, and it was also reading, I mean, reading guys too. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't know if anyone should listen to me for career advice necessarily, but I would say like, if you're trying to get into this stuff or you want to be just become like a smarter fan, like watch a lot of basketball. Like you can tell yeah. when people who cover it, like love it. And when people who cover it, but just have these good jobs or whatever, don't love it. And like read really smart people. And I was just lucky to like, you know, grow, grow up on Zach Lowe and Luke Wynn. Um, yeah. you know, guys like that. And it was like a couple, like I, I know Luke, you know, Luke works in the NBA now, but, it was a big highlight of mine when like two years ago or so Luke followed me. There's this guy that, you know, I had really, again, he's someone that I had as much as Zach, I probably cribbed some of my style from, um, but just having an idea of, uh, of, of like reading good analysis, knowing what I'm looking for and also paying attention to like smart people. Like I've been lucky to talk to people that have shaped my understanding of, of basketball. I've been able to talk to people that, you know, work in the NBA or work for the NBA. I've been able to talk to coaches. Um, I've been watched, you know, you go down a YouTube rabbit hole of different film or whatever. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I watch games, um, you know, there's certain things I'm looking for, but even then it's like, you're going to miss stuff, you know, and you want to try to be patient with yourself. So I try to keep an eye on the ball, but also, watching things that are happening off the basketball yeah. as well. And, um, and also I think, I do think it's important just to like, it's good to have the mindset of like, you're still learning and, um, you don't know everything. You'll never know everything, you know, <laughs> no matter, no matter how much you try. So, um, and, and they look, it helped that like, I grew up, I played basketball growing up too. So I had some, I had some sort of like baseline knowledge of, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I played at somewhat of a competitive level. So if you have that, it's sort of easy to have like this like base of knowledge to work off of. And then it kind of grew out of there, I would say. I think I like that you mentioned the the ball watch. That's like I grew up um, and I never really played. I played like basketball like really early, but never mm -hmm. even like by middle school. It was pretty clear that that was not where I was going to go. Right. And so yeah. it's interesting now because I talked to a lot of people about basketball, but I grew up watching it with my grandpa and he would always say, don't watch the ball. Like you have to train yeah. yourself not to watch the ball because he's it's like, hard, man. watch him watch <laughs> the ball. Right. Like watch this yeah. wing player, watch the ball. You watch him, watch it and then see how yeah. he reacts to different reads, to different actions. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult to do. Um, and I find myself like unable to do it. And like when I'm at a game, I can do it from the TV. But when I'm yeah. at a game, I'm so absorbed in it. Like the vibe is different. It feels different. Uh, so yeah. mentioning that is, I think, huge. If you're really trying to get into like, you know, what happens on this DHO or the left side's being loaded up or who's yeah. who's streaking into the dunker spot, all these different things that's hard to these nuances that you miss. But, yeah. you know, the, these guys are pra that's 100 hours worth of practice to run this simple little set here. And it's, <laughs> it's hard to wrap your head around these things, I think, a yeah. little bit. Um so when you go into it, you, you talked about kind of how you set it up. Do you go into a game kind of like tabula rasa, clean slate? I'm just going to absorb what comes to me. Or do you come in saying, hey, I would really like to see, you know, I'm really looking for Jeremy Roach off ball actions. Or I really would like to see yeah. kind of like what Filipowski is going to be doing, you know, with the ball in his hands. Or, or do you just kind of like, you know, I'm just going to go in and see what happens. I wish I could go into it with the totally blank slate, but. It, the way my brain works, it's just like those thoughts are always just running, running around my head. But like even before you get to the game, you're thinking like, can Roach get to the rim more? You know, <laughs> do Wake's going to ice these pick and rolls tonight? Uh, can Filipowski get going on the pick and pop? You know, it's, uh, Paolo hit him, killed him on the pick and pop when they iced him last year. Like, can Filipowski do that tonight? Like, what's that going to look like? And I think in part because, and, and maybe you guys feel this too, doing the podcast, like if you do create some type of content, whether it's the podcast or it's if you write an article or you do a broadcast of a game, you, you are sort of thinking like, how can I present this too? And so I think if your brain is already sort of in that mindset, it can be like a little tough to ignore. I think when I have the moments where I am able to sort of like blank slate it, it's usually when I'm going to the game and knowing that I'm going to watch it later, you know, where you're like, okay, let's just go here and let's just like be engrossed in the game 
And a couple of years ago, like when I started, when I was covering games, I just stopped taking my computer with me because I was like, I don't want to be on Twitter during the game. I don't want to be like looking at other stuff. Like I go there. I, I'm sure the Cameron crazies think I'm a grandpa because I go there with like a notepad. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I just and I just go there and like timestamp stuff in my head and stuff that I know that I want to come back to when I watch the film and weird observations. But getting to do that has allowed me to like going in with that sort of like more clear mindset has allowed me, I think, to catch some things. And you see how maybe you see how guys interact with teammates. I always felt like. um Watching Trey Jones up close, I know he was obviously like Trey was like, you know, compared to his teammates was never the athlete of like Zion or uh, or Cassius Stanley, nor was he like a, a like a powerful transition guy like RJ. But Trey's on ball defense and getting to watch that from pressure at Cameron was like it was it was like it was like taking a drug like he was it was it was I he moved laterally like, you know, if you ever watch tennis. It was like Djokovic, the way he mm. like, could move slide to side, the way he used his eyes was just incredible. And so I think on stuff like that, I'm glad that there were times where I could go in and just sort of like watch the basketball as it's happening and maybe think back later to what it means or what was happening or the X and O's. It's like there's always time for that later, but it is nice to be able to go to some games and blank slate it. I do think like when Duke played FSU in the 2019 title game at the ACC tournament, like, I was just having such a good time. I was like, I- I'm just going to enjoy this game. You know, like, this is... That tournament was incredible. Zion coming back for it was was uh, a highlight. And, uh, but so I think for the most part, that I usually can't get to that. But that has something to do, I think, with, like, the work we do. And also just, like, how I'm wired personally, which is, like, I kind of can't get out of my own head in most things, you know? Uh, yeah. But, like, probably especially basketball. So, yeah, usually I'm, like, there's certain things I'm paying attention to. Often, it has to deal with, like, what's happening off-ball and pick-and-roll coverages. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. usually where where my head defaults on those things. For sure. And you mentioned Zion, so I just want to give a quick shout-out. Dude was incredible <laughs> last night. 42 points. I think he scored the last, like, 13. And it's funny because now he's playing defense so much better, but I'm watching the yeah. Pelicans, and, like, I see Jose Alvarado, but in my head, I'm flashing back to, like, Trey Jones trapping at half court and Zion yeah. kind of blitzing the ball. And just it's yeah. so, and that's how he won the game almost last night, too. So, yeah. shout to Zion on that. He he is, I mean, he is, he's majestic. Like, he is, he really is basketball role and it's just you knew he just had to stay healthy like anyone who was paying attention to Zion at Duke that one year it was like yes this is transformative nothing looks like this nothing moves like this other than this guy Um, and so it's awesome like you know he's the MVP race is stacked so it's like silly to say these things but like he's an all NBA player and he's probably like a fringe MVP candidate. And the guy's what, 22, 23 years old. He was my sneak peek coming into this year. I was like, watch, he could, they'll probably give him most improved because they'll just have to throw him something. But I I think he could be sneakily in that conversation. Although Jokic and Luca are doing just stupid stuff right now. And and I do think I, I get the feeling that like SGA, Gildas Mm -hmm. Alexander, I think he's going to end up with most improved too. Um, But We'll see. It, it's December, I guess. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Ways to go. But Zion, it's awesome. The Pelicans are awesome. And uh, he is so much fun to watch. Speaking yeah. of um, Zion and that Duke FSU game, like how hard is it? Well, I don't even know how taboo it is to react when you're on press row, but how hard is it when somebody does something <laughs> amazing not to just jump out of your seat, regardless of yeah. who you're rooting for, whether you're rooting for anybody <laughs> at all? Uh, it's really hard sometimes. And it was especially hard around that Zion team. Actually, they they played Indiana in the 2018 Big Ten Challenge at Cameron that year. And he got loose for a like a windmill fast break dunk. And yeah, you know, that was probably like my fifth or sixth game seeing Zion up close, you know. And it's funny because there's 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 this one wide angle shot of like press row and the crazies like looking out towards Zion with those like the press and the fans in the background. And you can see me on press row, like mouth agape as Zion Mm -hmm. is like, you know, like, you know, windmilling through the air, like an asteroid, you know, that's about to hit the backboard. Um, So it it is, it's hard sometimes. It's usually with those types of feats of like athleticism. Like, I think I got caught when Dennis Smith Jr. in 2017 at Cameron did the like after buzzer dunk against Duke. I think that's another one where 
I think, uh, you know, you're trying to keep cool, but I think there are some photo, there's some visual evidence of me sort of just like uh, gleefully watching DSJ just like sky through the atmosphere of Cameron. So it's tough, but like ultimately, you know, I did, I was lucky to learn from someone like, like David Glenn when I got out of, of when I was like getting into this stuff to like, like, hey, it's press row. Like, we don't we don't cheer here. Now, I think a lot of people violate that, <laughs> to be clear. But, uh, like, like, across a bunch of different schools. But I think that was a good learning practice for me to sort of be like, hey, like, keep it in check. But there are times where you're like, the basketball is just so good. Like, Jason Tatum just dunked on Kennedy Meeks. Like I have to, mm, like, I, yeah. like I, my, my, my muscle control, like I'm, I'm, I'm not controlling this. It's like whatever chemicals are yep. <laughs> flowing through my brain are just, I'm going to have to react to it. So, but for the most part, it's, it's not, it's not too hard to like do the jump out of your seat type deal. I also think the fact that all the teams that I've ever pulled for have never been that good, including like the Hornets. So it's like, uh, I'm just used to like not cheering, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so uh, it, it's 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 a combination of those things. But also, like, man, basketball is awesome. It's super fun, and like, you know, I don't think you should be cheering on press row or whatever. But if something cool happens in front of you, like the job, the, I'm there to like witness greatness, right? Like that's the whole thing. Like that's yeah. what you're there. For. You mean you can try to trick yourself and say that you're, you know, I'm bringing the news or whatever, but like. You're there to witness greatness happen. Like you're the bystander. Um, and so I think it's okay to also have like earnest reactions when something amazing yeah. happens in front of you. Yeah. I think it's better entertainment too. Like it's you, uh, for me as a, like a consumer, I'd almost prefer if there's such a strong bias to just kind of almost lean to it a little bit instead of trying so hard to overcompensate. You know, it, yeah. it's a fine line. Like some guys are just able to like, like I'll listen to a lot of like the mismatch. I read a lot of Kevin O'Connor's work and he's talked about how he's able to just like, I know he's a Boston fan, but if he doesn't tell me, I don't know. Right. Yeah, like you yeah, can't yeah. really yeah. absorb it that way. It's, it's, I wish I could get to that. We, me and Raul <laughs> talked about like, it would be such a least, less stressful environment to watch basketball in. Um, yeah, yeah. But it, it's tough, you know, it's, it's, it's hard, but let's, let's segue a little bit and talk about Duke. Finally, I get, well, like mm -hmm. the current Duke team with, uh, with coach Shire here, obviously you've covered the team for a while now. What are the biggest differences that you're noticing compared to how John runs the offense and defense compared to Kay? I mean, we've talked about it a lot. We see a lot of differences. We see a lot of similarities. I'm curious for you if you think it's more schematic um, or if it's more personnel based, because there's not that Tatum, Paolo, Zion, Alpha that you would have to run 35% of your offense yeah. through. So how much of it is player based or do you think this is kind of a intentional thing coming from Shire. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, I mean, the cop-out answer, which is the one I'm going to use is, I think it's like, it's some of both in part because I do think if Dariq Whitehead was just like healthy, you might have one of those guys and, it, and it's, right. I mean, I mean, I guess he, I should say he's healthy now, but if he wasn't still recovering from, you know, foot surgery four months ago and dealing with the, whatever confidence issues come from that and trying to like do it in the hothouse of like the ACC and playing at Duke where, yeah. And he doesn't have the same this, balance either right now. Yeah. Clearly. Like he yeah. just clearly doesn't. You could, it's, it's night and day from watching him at, at, at Montford or, um, you know, in the, the, at the hoop summit, uh, out in Portland back in April. Um, there have been flashes of it, but yeah, it's just not, he's not quite, quite there yet. Whether that's like a mental or a physical thing, or again, some combination of the two, I think, um, with, uh, you know, Kay, I think to an extent was sort of like ahead of his time in, um, more positionless shoot threes, play four out, play or play four round one or play five out, you know, with which they would do some with, you know, with Palo last year or play or maybe not five, true five out, but you know, some of the, it's like kind of what they wanted to do a couple of seasons ago with Matt Hurt and Jalen Johnson. Right. You know, like, mm -hmm. and you know, that, that didn't work obviously. And they, that team found its footing late in the year by playing Hurt back at the four and putting, you know, Mark Williams at the five and, mm -hmm. Williams turned out to be a special player, obviously, too. Um, but I would say as far as like sets go, I do think there is sort of like more diversity in the playbook. I do think to an extent, I mean, I, I think there's like a Duke playbook of my childhood that had a lot of like off ball 
floppy action, you know, stuff for JJ Reddick, stuff for John Shire, right? To get mm-hmm. a lot of like sort of like movement based sets. And then I do think the last handful of years it really transitioned into, I mean, they would still run floppy. You know, they were still trying to do stuff to get Grayson Allen or AJ Griffin or or RJ or Cam Reddish, these these sorts these sort of like movement looks. Um the 2014-2015 team ran like continuity ball screen offense, the, that like side to side pick and roll action. Um, so again, they 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 adjusted. You know, they they would do different stuff. And you know, when you have guys like Zion or Paolo, you know, you're going to run a lot of like inverted pick and roll. Or you're going to run run four five pick and roll. Um, we've seen some of that this season with Flip and Lively, but not a ton. I think what you're seeing more of with the Shire team are different wrinkles in the pick and roll action. So uh, as opposed to just it just being like Duke coming up, horn set, pick and roll into high-low, which you're seeing plenty of that this season too. But I think you're seeing, okay, Duke will have, uh, they'll have uh, Jacob Grandison set an off-ball down screen for Tyrese Proctor will then come up and say, or they'll have, pardon me, they'll have Tyrese Proctor set an off-ball screen for Kyle Filipowski. And Kyle Filipowski will come off that screen and then set a ball screen for Jeremy Roach. And Proctor, after setting that screen for Filipowski, he'll run to the corner and come off of an exit screen, one of those little like pin-in screens mm-hmm. along the baseline from Lively. So you've seen them mix in that like that exit action. That's what everyone refers to it as. And you saw that from the jump this year. They were doing screen to screener or ram pick and roll with exit action on the backside. So that's been something they've mixed in. When Jacob Grandison is in, you're going to see a lot of role replace action, which is something that, again, they would do that with Matt Hurt or other times they had like a stretch big guy or whatever. But because Grandison's like, you know, can shoot off the move and it's pretty like fleet of feet. You know, when he's in there, like Grandison, like if he, if they're setting up like in a double pick and roll set, like he's probably going to slip, go down and then come back out. Um, seeing Duke has run a lot of what's called Spain pick and roll this year. That's something they would, they did, they ran it. I counted last year. They ran it four times last season. They probably ran it like seven times against Wake Forest the other night. But Spain pick and roll is just like stack pick and roll, right? Where you're going to see the four. Usually it's the four and the five. Sometimes they mix it up. But basically those two guys are going to one setting a ball screen and the second guy setting a back screen on the the first screen's defender. Um, and and, and, I, and I'm forgive me. I know I'm in the weeds a little bit here, and this is maybe not great <laughs> no, like for a, an, an no, audio. This is, yeah, this is how we're creating space because we don't have or, space on the court, right? Exactly. We're using what you're talking yeah. about to generate space, playing it, three big guys, basically. Ex- exactly. And even then, I, I tweeted this out. Um, I think during the Ohio State game, um, during like halftime or one of the stoppages, I pulled out my phone and did this because, like, it is they have this tricky spot with the big guys this year because like Flip is the one stretch option. But he's also the, it, it, you know, Ryan Young can do some stuff on the low blocks, but like Filipowski is the the way they draw fouls too, right? He's like their best like post up option too. Mm-hmm. Young's not terrible, you know. He can pass, a, he can certainly pass on those post up uh, touches too. But it's like they'll run high low sometimes, and it'll be, uh, you know, it'll be Filipowski sealing in the post, and then it's Lively or Young trying to like throw the post entry pass at the three point line, and like. The, the pass just isn't there because it's like mm-hmm. everyone can sag off and clog the paint. Yeah, I am going to be a little curious to see if they try more the, like flip at five lineups with with Mitchell or Grandison or Whitehead as like two of those three guys out there. So you're still pretty like switchy and long and athletic. They tried that some against Wake, but we really haven't seen a ton of it this year. And I get wanting to have... I, I do think they missed Lively in the Wake game. Like I, I think... Wake being able to throw that many lobs around the paint was because it was like Duke doesn't have a, a real rim protector in here. So like we we've got airspace here um to take advantage of. And Duke's pick and roll coverage was was leaky at times too, which didn't help either. But um so I, I think you're seeing more of that, but you also see some of the limitations of the roster that the two primary guards right now, Jeremy Roach is a good player. Like he's proven it, right? You saw in the postseason run, like this guy's this guy's good. Um, but he's, he's small. So like, even if he gets to the rim, he's not, he's just never going to be like an elite downhill finisher. Right. And you have someone like Tyrese Proctor, who's skilled. And I, 
I'm surprised he's shooting as poorly as he is from three this season. I think he's missed just, he's got, I think he's actually gotten some bad luck shooting off the catch this year. Um, Proctor can really pass. He can, he's manipulative. He's got decent size, but like he doesn't really have the burst to come to always turn the corner either. So you're seeing this, my like diagnosis of, of my, one of the things I think about their half court offense and the limitations with it is, is that, one, they're not shooting a lot of threes this year, right? Like they've 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 struggled shooting threes in the I think eighty eight percent of their threes this season have been assisted, which ultimately isn't that bad, but I think it does speak to the lack of like one on one shot creation that you're getting from the perimeter. Um, and if you don't have that, and this is a team that also doesn't get to the free throw line much this season, I think again because of the lack of slashing from the wing, um, then all of a sudden you really need the rim. You need the post. So you need the high low. You need Filipowski isolations. You need him to be able to get to create and get downhill um, and get to the rim. When Lively's in the in the offense, you got to use him as a pressure point on the rim in the screen roll game. Like he's got to be a lob guy. You saw in the Boston College game how they turned him loose with empty corner pick and rolls. I'd love to see more of that. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was like really good. Uh, I actually asked Shire about that after the game because they went to a ton of empty corner ball screens in that game, and he said that was a a, a Lucas's scout. Uh, that that was his, like he sort of saw something on tape with BC and and thought that was something they could take advantage of. So I think I do think like scheme wise, Duke has been okay. Um, I think they've done some creative stuff. I think some of the after timeout specials they've run. They tried a little hammer screen late in the game against Iowa that didn't work, but it was cool to see them dabble and try that. So I actually think the playbook itself has been like mostly fine. Um, and I think there have even been some pretty creative stuff and some stuff that's moved away from where Duke had been the last like decade or so, where they were yeah. so high low dependent, so pick and roll dependent, and just try to like, you know, try to rotate the defense and then just like you know, swing the ball there, swing the ball around the perimeter and like try to like attack and get into space. And like, yeah. you know, if you have awesome players, it's like you can, like that can work. Duke's been awesome on offense, you know, yep. like most of these seasons, but I don't think they were like splitting the atom. I thought the last year's tournament run was so much fun because I thought Duke, I thought Kate like kind of got into his bag a little bit, calling yeah. stuff up, using elevator screens for AJ Griffin and then slipping Mark Williams off of those to get, to get dunks. Um, I really thought like he started to sort of like get a, get like a real feel for how to use that offense and certainly having guys like, uh, you know, having a shooter like AJ and a, a hub like Paolo and a rim run guy like Mark. I mean, it's, you know, it makes it a little be, easier. You yeah. don't need to be the greatest college coach of all time to be like, Oh, how do I use these things? <laughs> um, so I, I, again, I think they're feeling it out. I can't wait to see what this team looks like when they get back because there's been a lot of time off, hopefully some more practices. Hopefully some guys have been able to heal up a little bit. Um, you know, Jeremy Roach has been dealing with a foot, uh, with a toe issue, toe, season, yeah, you know, which is tough. I have also I, one thing I'd also say too about Roach. I have seen them as they sort of like shifted to Proctor, maybe on the ball a little bit more in some games. You know, you'll see them take Roach off the ball and put him through like floppy or like loop action to try to get him coming off screens. Um, I think they've had some good success out of that, but. It would be kind of nice. I think there's I, I, one. I'd like to see Proctor use more as a movement shooter in in these looks, and I'd like to see if they could get a little bit more out of that. Because if you're having to like alter the offense to be like, okay, let's get Jeremy Roach off some pin down screen so he can we can get him going downhill and out of the pick and roll. It's like I, I don't I, I don't know. I think you I don't think that can be like that. That needs to be like a, a an off speed pitch for the offense, not like the thing they do when. They're trying to like get Jeremy going necessarily, but yeah. Um. So again, I I know I'm meandering. I'm sort of all over the place here, but ultimately, I think some of the wrinkles they've done have been pretty good. I'd like to see those high low looks readjusted. I'd like to see maybe a little bit more five out or four round one, and just being sort of like intentional with the spacing, um, to kind of combat some of those issues. And then I think you just got to hope that like. Like Derek Whitehead, like long term is going to be fine, I think. But it's like, what does he look like the next three months for Duke? And I think right. ultimately, right, like that 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 determines the ceiling. Like whether Duke has like does Duke have a power wing that they can give twenty five percent usage to, 
you know, that's going to get the rim, get the free throw line and, and kind of like be the bailout option for them offensively. Yeah. It seems like a lot of those flip at the five lineups that you mentioned that you wanted to see really depend on Whitehead's development. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause if you have him out there for 30 some minutes a game, then you're able to move Mitchell to the four. Cause right now the issue is that when you look at a lot of our lineup data, um, you know, Filipowski and Young have been among our best players and part yep. of a lot of our most positive lineups. Yep. So it makes sense that, uh, you know, Shire would want to play them. So I think it's just, it, it, you know, it requires Whitehead taking a little bit of a leap to justify yep. moving away from Young somewhat. Yeah. And we've yeah. talked about too the pace too. I, I want to hear your thoughts too, Brian, the pace that we're playing. Cause we've talked on the podcast we kind of have a split roster, right? Like we have guys that really could thrive in an up and down environment. Like Jalen Blakes likes to play fast. Tyrese could probably thrive more in that whitehead mm-hmm. lively. And then you have guys like Roach, Ryan Young, and Kyle Filipowski who really kind of are very comfortable in a slow it down, methodical kind of half court. That's where they kind of get into their stuff. Well, those are our top seven guys. And then you third Grandison who can probably do either one. What what do you think? It, it, it almost seems like at times it's like a a battle, right? Because we'll have that, and then we'll bring in Jalen Blakes, and all of a sudden he's flying up and down the court. We're trying to yeah. get Derek out running, and then we switch it back, and we bring Ryan Young in, and we kind of slow down a little bit. Is that going to work? Do you think, or do, do we need to commit to kind of one style here? Yeah, I think it's it's tough because I think it needs to be a blend. But I could see how a team that's sort of like having its issues in the half court offense, it's like maybe it would would be best if you just like picked one and we're like, no, this is how we're playing. Um, I, you know, you're not going to be like walk it up and in, in you know like Virginia or UCLA or whatever. But you know, do we need to be a little bit more intentional? I would like to see Duke it, whether like. I would like to see Duke just be faster with its actions in the half court. Mm-hmm. I think there's, I think there are like, you can start stuff. Like some teams, you know, they're going to press you. You're not going to be able to get into your stuff until there's 22 seconds on the shot clock. But like, there are other times where that doesn't happen. You're still getting into your stuff. The first screen happens with 21 seconds left. Okay. Defense rotates. You pass it around. No, no advantage is created. Now 15 seconds are left on the shot clock. Okay. Well, well now I will just, I think Duke could go faster. In these situations, I think they have they have talent. They have good guards on this roster. Maybe no one that's like an elite guard, uh, unless you know Whitehead on the wing really like kicks up. So I would like to see them play with more pace, even if it's in a half court type environment. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, ultimately this team has the the athletes to like be good in transition, especially if like Whitehead can can like find his bounce and his like pop athletically because like he's the difference maker in transition along with guys like Mitchell. This Duke team, they don't like they're they don't dunk the ball that much, right? Mm-hmm. Like nope. I, I looked this up earlier today. You know, lively leads the team with 15 dunks. Mitchell's next with 14. No one else has more than like four or five this season. So um I would like to see them get out and transition more. And I also would like to see them um just play with a little bit more like verve and and oomph in the half court mm. and a little more a little more pace. And yeah, I just looked this up. Only 33 minutes according to CBB analytics this season with flip as like the five. So flip on, no lively, um, no young. Have so haven't seen a lot of that this season. And it is nuts too, just going through Duke's lineup data, like because of injuries and because of I guess the layoff and stuff. I mean, they only have two lineups that have played. 30 plus minutes so far this season together, right? And they only have three lineups that have played 25 or more minutes so far this season. Um, the main one has been Roach, Proctor, Mitchell, Filipowski, and Lively. It's plus 10 and 82 minutes. Roach, Proctor, Mitchell, Flip, and Young, plus 26 and 54 minutes. Um, the most played lineup without Filipowski, Blakes, Roach, Grandison, Whitehead, and Young, 18 minutes plus four. Mm-hmm. And like all of these lineups are struggling getting to the free throw line. The mm-hmm. best lineups are the ones that pound the offensive glass, right? And ultimately, I think that's like one of the reasons why they kind of short circuited against Wake is because, yeah, they, they just couldn't get on the rebound. Couldn't, they couldn't get on the glass. It's like, well, I think 20% offensive rebound rate in that game. But um, but yeah. So I, I pulled this up earlier too. Thirty six percent of their shots this season have been threes. Uh, Twenty one and a half three point attempts for forty minutes. Those are both really low. They're shooting just thirty one and a half percent on threes. So under twenty eight percent 
of their total points this season have come from threes. That's 261 nationally. You mix that in with the lack of free throw attempt rate. Um, and it just puts a ton of, of pressure on getting to the rim without having like the power wing to do it. So really that the second chance opportunities are huge for them and not turning the ball over, which like I think they've done a decent job of this season is like being intentional with the basketball. But they I think there's they've just got to find better ways to create um spot up open threes or movement threes. So some of that is scheme related. I think some of that is other guys sort of like stepping up and, and making plays and maybe Whitehead uh coming on and just seeing if you can create more easy points out of clean catch and shoot threes and uh, rim pressure that results in uh, free throw attempts, hopefully. And that's probably why uh, Shires lean so heavily into the young and flip lineups is because mm-hmm. the one thing that has been working well for us is the offensive rebounding. So he's kind of yeah. going with what's working. 100%. And I think, I do think young, like, I think that's a, in those lineups with those two guys, they're crushing the offensive glass. Mm-hmm. They're just uh, mauling teams. And I think, like, those are their best passing lineups too, yep. right? It's like when you have those two guys as your four or five, those guys, they, they, they move the ball, but also those guys can like pass the score and they can pick out cutters out of the post or Filipowski on the pick and pop. And I think Lively has shown some stuff as a short roll passer, yeah. but he's not, not to the extent that, that young can be sort of like a hub passing out of the post. Just obviously you sacrifice elsewhere you know, you, without Lively's, you know, length and rim protection and vertical lob threat, you know, he really does give them another dimension at the rim on, on both ends. Yeah. yeah. Well, Brian, again, we appreciate you coming on here. Any kind of final predictions for Duke this year, kind of where you see them in, in the long, long game here. Um, obviously we're still really early into this ACC schedule. Um, what, what are you looking for, for Duke to maximize here? Yeah, I think, I mean, again, I think it's like finding a way to get Whitehead online, trying to get guys um, healthy and and ready to roll because obviously the next couple of months are going to be, it gets crazy. It gets nuts starting in like two or three days, you know, until the middle of March or the end of March or whatever. They, I do think, have a run of games to kind of get fat here. I know FSU is like not the most fun team to come back from break on because it's like they're going to switch everything. They're huge. They've got some NBA athletes on that roster um, with Cleveland and, and Warley. Um, and then states like not NC State's not a bad team. They're going to switch a lot. Boston College on the road, you know, you beat them already, but they're they're not like terrible either, but Pittsburgh, Clemson, and then you get to Miami, Virginia Tech. So it's like, I think they've got the chance to be very good. I do think at full strength, this Duke team is, is a top three team, top four team in the ACC. Uh, Miami looks awesome. Mm-hmm. Virginia, they look good, but they've got their own injury concerns with Reese Beekman right now. Like they, uh-huh. he's got to get healthy for them. And I think UNC, you can you can certainly slot them, slot them in there uh, uh, as well. But I I like this Duke team. I think they're going to be, I think safely their top four in the ACC. I think they're going to win a ton of games. It's just finding out what you have with Whitehead, the front court rotation, and then I think you know how much can uh, Tyrese Proctor like progress as like because I do think Duke kind of wants him to be take on more and more playmaking share. Yeah, and uh, this is maybe not a fair comparison, but you saw. Like right before winter break last season, like AJ Griffin found his groove, and that was huge for Duke going into the second half of the season. And if one of like uh, Whitehead or Proctor could like really pop, I think that would go a, a long way. Because I think at this point, you know what you're getting with Mitchell, you know what you're getting with Roach, with Filipowski. Like he's Filipowski's awesome. Um, I mean, you want him to shoot better, but and so I think Proctor and Whitehead, like one or both of those guys, are sort of like the mystery cards for this team. I do sort of also wonder. I actually would be curious to know, like, uh, do you guys think someone like Mark Mitchell could take more on ball usage? Like, I think he's been best sort of like attacking off the catch and like slashing that way. But he is, you know, he's a big wing. He can be a matchup issue, depending, especially if you're playing him at the four. And if they're going to get to more of these, you know, if they do, in fact, try more of these Filipowski at five lineups. I mean, that remains to be seen. But Mitchell will be key to unlocking some of those along with Whitehead. You know, he's drawn almost four fouls per 40 minutes, but only 19% usage this season, which is pretty, which is low for a guy like him that, that can slash. So 
I'd be curious to know, like, he might be sort of like maxed out and playing the perfect role right now, but I would be curious to see if, like, he's another guy, not with like pick and roll reps or anything like that, but is he someone else that Duke can sort of utilize a little bit more with his frame, his athleticism, his size to slash? Um, I think he's another, again, he's a little bit more of a mystery, but uh, Proctor and Whitehead are the two big sort of like upside plays, I think, with this team that would really allow them to jump a level. I also, the last thing I would say too, I don't think there's any huge panic for losing at Wake Forest. Like, I don't know what the pulse of, of Duke's fan base was after that. I know it was like a pretty ugly loss, but, mm-hmm. and you're missing two starters. You just had a 10 day layoff. Scripted loss right there. Just you know, a scripted loss. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, you're, and also like Wake isn't, I know Wake's not, they're not as good as they were last season. They're not terrible. Like, no, it's a, it's a top 75, 80 team in the country on the road. And Wake has a guy in Tyree Appleby that like, you know, no one can really guard him. Like he gets into the lane yep. every time he feels like I, I think Duke would wish they would have someone like that. that could just get into the lane every single yep. time down the court. They don't, they don't quite have that. So I don't know that loss in, in old also like, again, not a good, ha- not a good offensive game, but like it, Duke missed some like good, I mean, they're wide open kick out threes. Like if those things, if two more of those go in, like I know it's reductive to say, but like it's a totally different game. So I'm not panicking with Duke yet. Ultimately, unless Whitehead really comes on, I think the ceiling is maybe a little bit lower than maybe we were hoping before the season or sort of projecting before the season. But I still think they're going to be good. And and I really do have my fingers crossed for for uh for Whitehead like making a jump. Um, because I'd love to see him establish himself as one of the best prospects, you know, reestablish himself as one of the best prospects in the country. And if he does that, then Duke has the chance to be the best team in the ACC. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And not to kind of go into it too much, but we've talked a lot about the the Mitchell situation. And I think it's kind of twofold. One, he's being he's playing the three, which is not great yeah. really for him. And we've yeah. seen him yeah. at times when he is at that four, the Xavier game, and even a little bit against Wake and some other times where he's just able to get in that lane and the rim. Yeah. The it's not a problem, but the problem for us for his usage is I think he's too smart guy doesn't take bad shots he, he's taken yeah. like three bad shots this year there's like those mid-range kind of like yeah. just bad well, shots he but can't, usually he can't it's left it. corner three yeah. or it's at the rim and that's yeah so he's either going to shoot three times a game or if it's there for him he's going to shoot 12 and he's going to shoot yeah. like 70 percent you yeah. know i i think he's been a really like pleasant i didn't see mark much at sunrise christian but i think he's been like a really He's. I think he's had an underrated season for them, and has sort of like done exactly what's been asked of him, and maybe not more. Um, yeah, so, I mean, but, he's one uh, of our yeah. few efficient players, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, I mean, he, he, and Flip have been have both been. Uh, I think have both had really strong freshman, uh, freshman seasons. But yeah, I think I, I agree with you on Mitchell. Like he is it. The, all the threes are spot up in the corner. Yeah. Um, you know, he works as a cutter, and he can slash a little bit too, but. So yeah, he probably is tapped out where he is right now, but um I'd like to see more of it. A little bit yeah. less from Flip and a little bit more from yeah. I think we're asking Mitchell. Flip to do a little too much outside of himself to where if yeah. I think his efficiency and numbers would look a lot better on like a little bit of a smaller ball, a little bit more comfortable, less of the ball handling, less of the initiation, more of a secondary kind of action stuff. But he's so scaly. You could totally make it happen too. Like Flip Filipowski is completely scalable. Like mm-hmm. you absolutely could knock down his usage a little bit, and he'd be totally fine. In fact, to your point, it would you would see probably a jump in his efficiency. So because he because he can shoot, he can pass, he can kind of do everything. So um, yeah, I think scaling him down a little bit might might be helpful. Um, but they're just so reliant on him for foul. We, we just have to moment. have him right. There's yeah, no one else exactly. is there to yeah. take the load. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with Mark, sorry, I don't want to keep us too much longer. But with Mark, his shot is uh, you know so slow he's so slow to get it off that i don't yeah. think he can shoot off the dribble and that's going to limit him somewhat yep. totally you know his two he, options are take a wide open three or get to the rim yeah he 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 has a long wind up for that three and it's a line drive too so it's like over a tight closeout he can't really get it off often he needs he needs to be open and have space so you can't so you can't like run him off a movement set like he's not going to shoot off those looks either and yeah right. it can't really be the pick and roll because 
you know, unless he can get all the way to the rim because the mid-range game, to your point, is just like not in his, it's just not, he's just not comfortable doing it right now. So he probably is in the, the right role for him, but that doesn't mean you couldn't still just dial it up a little bit more, yep. try to squeeze a little bit more out of, out of a, you know, six, seven, 220 pound, you know, wing that can right. shoot and attack closeouts. Yeah, I'd yep. like to see a little less of like we're so committed to the two bigs, and I think it's because of what we talked about that the offensive yeah. rebounding has just been the strength. So we've leaned into it. I was really hoping against Wake that we wouldn't start Kyle and Young together because those are our only two centers that we'd. St- I'd like to see Mark at the five a little bit, but that's not going to happen. But yeah. at least yeah. at the four to get a little bit more of that just organic space instead of everything having to come off of loading a certain side or off ball cuts, yeah. um, because those things. You, it's hard to rely on that with younger players of like Grandison is a machine. That dude doesn't stop. But younger yeah, yeah. players that are used to dominating the ball in high school, we've seen it with Proctor too. It, I think it would maybe be easier to turn Roach into an off-ball guy before it would be easier to turn Proctor into one in two and a half months because it's it, just, it's hard. It's tough. And again, they, I think they're trying that with Roach to some success. It does, it is a little frustrating because like, Proctor, I watched him play a lot of those games for us with Australia and FIBA this past summer. And like he was on ball a lot in some of those games. And there were other games where it was like Proctor is just running off screens, off ball, all game. And so it's like, I, I think he has it, um, but it's just been tough for him to find within the context as like of Duke's offense. And as he's, I think, I guess, adjusting to like the college game, which is different than yeah, probably right. what he's used to. Yeah, got to get a feel for the ball. You know, that I, I watch a lot of like, um, you know, baseball has probably set the standard for how to use analytics, you know, just because there's so much that they track. But there's something to it of the, the pitchers talk a lot about, OK, you can tell me the angles and the spin rate, but I need a coach that can come out. If I can't feel the ball in my hand, none of that stuff matters. Right. Yeah, and I think yeah. Proctor's maybe going through a little bit of that. Like, I need to be able to feel the ball in my hand. I need mm-hmm. to be able to feel the rhythm and then I can start to incorporate this stuff. But um, you know, New Year's resolutions and all that stuff. Maybe we see some some changes going through. I would say the fan base is still pretty optimistic. Wait, you're you're throwing those exams in there. You're throwing, you know, the holidays are right after the corner. Let's just get out of here. First yep. road game. Yep. It's just a, a scripted loss almost. You know, you, you hope to win it. You hope to be a little bit more competitive. But I don't think you take yeah, too I think much. That was from the big that. thing for me. It was just that it wasn't really a close game and that the defense looked pretty awful. Those were the yeah, two especially things. Especially point me. of attack. Point of attack yeah. defense was bad. You know, I know Roach had the toe thing going, but it was not good at the point it of was, attack. It was bad. And they were like intentional. I thought Wake was intentional about having Andrew Carr set screens and then keeping Matthew Marsh in the dunker spot. Yep. And just like Duke couldn't figure out what the, do we want to switch here? And they got burned when they would switch. But there were other times, like I know we were just singing Mark Mitchell's praises, but there was another time where Carr, he was guarding Carr, Carr oh, screen yeah. for Appleby and just there was no road. There was no screen defense. Like Apple was just like, well, I'll get right to the middle of the lane and I'll throw a lob. Like, <laughs> it was just like, no one's guarding. I just came off the screen. There's literally no one here right now. Um, so yeah, I think tightening that up would be huge. And we could probably do a whole other hour on <laughs> like adjustments that Duke or ways Duke could like, you know, improve. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's pick and roll coverages. I just think wake did a couple small, like, Again, sorry for more for another day, but like I think Wake, Steve Forbes, his coaching staff, that I think it's a pretty clever, like they don't, they do a nice job scheming stuff up. And I thought they had some right. stuff in the bag ready for Duke that game. Yeah, for sure. And he's went out and got two of the best transfer guards in back to back years. Clearly, he knows what he's looking for, how he wants to attack. And when Hildreth is also complimenting that, it's just tough to guard. Um, you know, that's a tough place to play down there too. So, We'll, we'll we'll see how we how we handle that, but um, again, Brian, we really appreciate you coming on. Love to have you again towards the end of the season to maybe kind sure. of revisit yeah. some of these thoughts. And uh, we're recording this on a Thursday, so for you all listening, um, we'll probably try to drop this Saturday. So Duke plays Florida State, um, New Year's Eve, one o'clock game. Long layoff. Hopefully, we're healthy. Would love to see some different things. Florida State hasn't been great this year. However, they won the last three out of four, so they just beat Notre Dame by one. But, you know, a win's a win. Um, so we'll get them coming into Cameron, hopefully right the ship a little bit. And uh, we'll be back next week with a kind of reaction to them and probably, 
NC State. So that's another another big one. But uh, again, Brian, thanks for coming on. Um, you know, you want to plug anything that you got going that you're working on right now, or where the people can find you, follow you, all that good stuff. Yeah, out on Twitter at uh, bgeis underscore bird. Um, lots live analysis, lots of Duke stuff there. Uh, I'm writing for the Devil Den this season, trying to do a piece a week. Probably is averaged out to a little bit less than that. Um, uh, I'm having trouble finding time to write consistently this season, but writing there, writing at Pack Pride, writing at Demon Deacon's Digest. Um, I'm doing the the Pack Pride podcast at times. If you want to get you know ready for NC State in a, in a couple of weeks against Duke or whenever that that I know that matchup's coming up. I guess the fourth so, next Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. So Wednesday. not even a couple of weeks. You know, a week here. Um, so, so check my stuff there. And if you're interested in the, in the Hornets, um, you, know, you got Mark Williams and Mason Plumley on the roster, the, the buzz beat podcast, um, where we're talking about how depressing the Charlotte Hornets yeah, talk are. Talk about usage and spacing. We could have a <laughs> yeah. field day with the Hornets. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's been a tough season, man, but maybe there, uh, maybe there's a very tall Frenchman, uh, to be the prize for them at the <laughs> end of the, it's we'll see. To- there's a. Coming to take chance. Mark's uh, Mark's minutes and yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be the? Well, maybe it's maybe it's a uh, maybe they get the second pick and it, it's Scoot Henderson um, instead. Yeah. 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 Um, well, you know, in, in the meantime, guys, you can uh, check us out at the devilston.com, email us at the devilstonpod at gmail.com, rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff, and uh, keep the faces strong in the burp. Go do. Mm-hmm.